Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to come together and worship you. We thank you that you are the risen Lord. We thank you that you have paid for our sins and provided a way for our salvation. We pray that you'll help us to remember and to celebrate your resurrection today. In Jesus' name, amen. Halvard, can you turn that down just a little bit? Turn it down. <laughs> this big booming voice comes at you. <laughs> Before I start, I want to, I want you to know I actually took this from a uh, Sunday school lesson that I found on Bible.org. I wanted to preach on the road to Emmaus. Now you can turn it up a little bit, Alva. <laughs> there, uh, a little bit more, a little bit more. There you go. How's that sound? Everybody hear me now? But I found this outline and some of the prophecies. Um, the road to, to Emmaus is a, a passage that talks about two of the disciples. They were not part of the twelve. They were two other of Jesus' disciples. Jesus had a lot more disciples than just the twelve. And these two disciples were walking to Emmaus on Sunday, the, or on the day of the resurrection. And I want to read from Luke 24. I'm going to be reading a lot of passages today. 24, 13 to 27 is where I'm starting out. On the same day, two disciples were traveling to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking to each other about everything that had happened. While they were discussing these things, Jesus himself arrived and joined them in their journey. They were prevented from recognizing him. So here they are, they're walking along, they're talking about what happened, about the crucifixion, about how Jesus had died. He said to them, What are you talking about as you walk along? They stopped, their faces downcast. The one named Cleopas replied, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who is unaware of the things that have taken place over the last few days? Come on, where have you been? <laughs> That's really what he was saying. You know, where have you been during this time? Jesus died. He said to them, What things? They said to him, the things about Jesus of Nazareth. Because of his powerful deeds and words, he was recognized by God and all the people as a prophet. But our chief priests and our leaders handed, them over, handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped... He was the one who would redeem Israel. So here they are, 
Jesus is dead. They're defeated. They're walking along. No hope. All these things happened three days ago. But there's more. Some women from our group left us stunned. They went to the tomb early this morning and didn't find his body. They came to us saying they had even seen a vision of angels who told them he is alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found things just as the women had said. They didn't see him. Then Jesus said to them, You foolish people, your dull minds keep you from believing all that the prophets talked about. Wasn't it necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then he interpreted for them the things written about himself in all the scriptures, starting with Moses and going through the prophets. Now there were over 300 prophecies about Jesus, and to look at them all in detail would take a lifetime. The Bible doesn't say which prophecies Jesus used here. But these are a representation of prophecies he may have used when he was talking to these two disciples. And I'm going to start right at the beginning. Genesis 3, 14 and 15. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, Cursed are you, and more than all cattle, and more than every beast of the field, on your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put an enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He will bruise and tread your head underfoot, and you will lie in wait and bruise his heel. This is actually the very first prophecy of Jesus' death. He will crush your head and you'll bruise his heel. This was a promise God made to Satan. When Jesus died on the cross, he completely crushed Satan. All that Satan had been able to accomplish in the Garden of Eden was destroyed. He separated us from God by sin. He led us, he led Adam into a path where Adam made a choice that separated us. But Jesus, when he died on the cross, destroyed that and made it so that we could be reconciled to God. In Micah 5.2, we see where the Messiah was to be born. 
But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephratah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From one will go forth for me to be a ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. The one to be ruler in Israel was from a long ago, from the days of eternity. Think about that. Here the scriptures are talking about this man, this Messiah, this leader. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. And yet, he was from eternity. He wasn't just any ordinary man. The fulfillment we can see in Luke 2, 4-7. Joseph also went from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house of the family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged with him, engaged to him, and was with the child. When they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave forth birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. So here we see the Romans making this decree, hey, we're going to count all heads, we're going to tax you guys, and what happens? Joseph and Mary are forced to travel to Bethlehem just before she was ready to give birth. And he was born in Bethlehem, just as the scripture said. The prophecy foretelling John the Baptist is in Malachi 3.1 and Isaiah 43. Malachi 3.1 Behold, I am going to send my messenger and he will clear the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And then in Matthew 3, 1 to 3, it says, Now, in these days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way for the Lord, make his path straight. So here we see two different prophets at two different times hundreds of years apart talking about this man who is going to come who is going to be the forerunner who is going to blaze the trail for Jesus the prophecy of Jesus triumphal entry into Jerusalem Zechariah 9.9 rejoice greatly O daughter of Zion Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. That Jesus 
would be betrayed by a close friend, which happened when he was betrayed by Judas. In Psalm 55, 12 and 13, the psalmist wrote, For it is not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me, then I could hide myself from him. But it is you, a man my equal, my, my companion, and my familiar friend, that Jesus would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver was also prophesied. Matthew 26, 14 to 16, Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him thirty pieces of silver. So from that time he sought the opportunity to betray him. And then Matthew 27, 5 to 10, it says, And he threw the pieces of silver into the temple sanctuary and departed, and he went away and hanged himself. The chief priests took the pieces of silver and said, It is not lawful to put them into the temple treasury, since it's the price of blood. And they conferred together, and with the money bought a potter's field as a burial place for strangers. For this reason that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then that which was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled, and they took thirty pieces of silver, the price of one whose price had been set by the sons of Israel, and they gave them for a potter's field, as the Lord directed me. So not only was he betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, but then he threw it back at them and they bought a potter's field. And this was all prophesied in detail. It's just amazing all the things that told. And, and this is just a few of the ones that Jesus would be silent before his accusers and die to pay for our sins was prophesied in Isaiah 53, 6 and 7. Probably almost every one of us know this. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Yet he was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. Like a sheep that is silent before his shears. So he did not open his mouth. And the fulfillment of that prophecy we can see in Matthew 27 13 and 14. Here Jesus had been brought before Pilate. They had already condemned him in the Sanhedrin court. 
but they couldn't put him to death, so they had to bring him to Pilate for permission. And they made all these accusations, and Pilate's there, and he says to, to him in verse 13, Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? And he did not answer him with regard even to a single charge. So the governor was quite amazed. So here we see Jesus standing there accused, falsely accused. And he didn't stand up and rail against them. He just stood there for us. Psalm 22, 16, and Isaiah 53, 4 and 5 prophesy how Jesus' hands and feet would be pierced and how Jesus was pierced through for our transgressions. Psalm 22, 16, for dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers has encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell on him, and by his scourgings we were healed. He was crushed for our iniquities. Though these prophecies are detailed about events far into the future, from when they were written, there is another element to them. They explain why Jesus came. He came as the Lamb of God to be slain for our sins. So, here we see Jesus, and again, these are just a representation. I'm not saying these are the ones Jesus used. But he spent a good portion of time explaining to these two disciples why he came, why he had to die on the cross, what it was he was to suffer. And here he is, standing alive before them, telling them. And yet they didn't know who he was, at least not right then. In verse 28, in Luke 24, it continues. When they came to Emmaus, he acted as if he was going to go on ahead. But they urged him, saying, Stay with us. It's nearly evening, and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. After he took his seat at the table with them, he took the bread, he blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, 
Notice, he prayed. I'll tell you, probably that's one of the times when he was most recognizable is when he was praying. He blessed the bread, and their eyes were opened, and they knew who it was. That's just amazing. But he disappeared from their sight, and they said to each other, Weren't our hearts on fire when he spoke to us along the road and when he explained the scriptures to us? He kindled a fire in their bones. Says the smoldering flax he will not quench. And what it's talking about is this fire that's just barely there and, and if you blow on it too hard you'll blow it out. And here Jesus is. He's seeing this fire. It's almost out in their lives. And he gently breathes on them. And he kindles that fire. That fire that brought him, them to him in the first place. And here they are now, rejuvenated, alive, remembering, and knowing for sure Jesus is alive. Now here it is, again. They had just said to him, hey, it's nighttime, it's, you know, it's real late, why don't you stay with us? And now it's even later because they just finished eating. They got up right then and returned to Jerusalem. They didn't wait around until the next morning. They got right up and they went back to Jerusalem. Another seven mile walk. Seven miles walking is not a fast thing. It was probably way in the middle of the night by the time they got back to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and their companions gathered together they were saying to each other the Lord has really risen he appeared to Simon then the two disciples described what had happened along the road and how Jesus was made known to them as they broke the bread they were so excited about their risen Savior they couldn't wait to go and tell the others, we've seen him. He's alive. It's hard to close on something like that other than to say, he is alive. Amen. Lord, again, we thank you that you are a living God. You are alive. And we pray that you will kindle in us that fire that you kindled in these two disciples. That you awaken in us a real burning to tell others about you, that you are alive. In Jesus' name, amen.